There's so much we can learn about ourselves when we think about trees. Did you know that in Psalm 1, God says you shall be like a tree? When we follow Jesus, it begins when we are like a tiny seed or a sapling, firmly planted and too weak to stand on its own. As we grow up in the truth, we send our roots down. They keep us fed and strong. But beware, becoming what God created us to be isn't always easy. There are bad forces that work against us, and it takes faith and discipline to get through them. But once you mature and discover your gifts, you grow fruit. Delicious fruit that you can share with everyone around you. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching how your life, which started out as a little seed, can multiply into the lives of others. This could be you, a majestic tree, going deep, growing wide, living tall, and bearing lots and lots of fruit. All right, we were so excited to continue in our spiritual formation series this morning. We have made it through the, uh, the first few phases, and we're on to the maturing phase in our series, which is a, a challenging aspect of, of the series. And uh, we've been talking about this imagery of a tree and how that's a good picture of maturing in the spiritual life. And so we've gone through the, the planted phase, then the rooted phase, and then the growing phase, and now we're up to the maturing phase. Typically, it's a pretty predictable progression. As a tree grows, it's pretty steady. Uh, pretty much anybody can see how this works. But sometimes in one of those phases, something can happen uh, to a tree. A tree can experience some unexpected damage. Uh, have you ever seen a notch on a tree? Uh, that notch is usually there because there's been some kind of wound to that tree. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes unintentional. Sometimes a storm has happened, sometimes wind damage. It uh, could be from a parasite, could be even from a fire. Uh, trees can be wounded, and those wounds can cause significant complications in the tree's vibrancy, in the tree's flourishing, in the tree's uh, health. And just like that, sometimes in the spiritual life, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes in our own personal lives, in our own emotional lives, as we grow and we can mature, we also can experience some deep, deep wounds along the way. Sometimes storms will come and winds will come and they will knock down some of our branches and things can happen to us that have been very, very painful. Uh, someone betrays us. Uh, someone lies to us. Someone mischaracterizes us. Someone falsely accuses us. Someone mistreats us or takes advantage of us. And, and that can leave a wound in our lives, and that wound can, can bring significant damage. And that's what we want to talk about today. So as we begin, let me tell you this true story. Uh, the true story that I'm going to tell you comes from Amish country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It happened in the fall of 1991. There was an Amish man who was 21 years old who was taking uh, a ride with his new bride who was 19 years old uh, on their honeymoon. After they got married for a few days, they were traveling around visiting some different friends and family and relatives as they celebrated their new union together. As they were out on the road, there was a young teenage driver that was coming up behind them. Uh, it had only been 11 months since this young man had gotten his driver's license, and, and he was driving along because he wanted to play some football with some friends on a Sunday afternoon. As he was driving a little too fast down the road, the Amish buggy was about 100 yards up ahead, and the young driver decided to make a decision. They were going in the same direction. Uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, sometimes you don't want to get caught behind a buggy. you got places to go. So he decided he wanted to go around him on the left-hand side. As he was going around him on the left-hand side, the buggy also simultaneously decided to take a left-hand turn. 
The teenager was trying to get around him. The teenager saw what happened. He slammed on the brakes. The car skidded forward, but he wasn't able to stop in time. He smashed right into the buggy. Uh, The teenage boy got out of his car. He saw what was unthinkable. He had severely injured a young woman. Uh, This boy was horrified at what had happened. The police arrived. There was chaos, and and the boy uh, says, this was the worst day of my entire life. The young woman was quickly rushed to the hospital. She had had brain damage, and eventually she did not make it. Just horrific. Uh, This girl's new husband was understandably devastated. This girl's parents now carried around a wound that many of us as parents cannot even imagine. Uh, I'm sure they were very angry at these circumstances, angry at this young man, angry maybe even at God for what had occurred in their life. And just imagine how this woman's new husband felt. How would anyone ever experience healing from a wound like that? How do we deal with the wounds in life? Uh, Maybe you've been wounded like that. Maybe it was something accidental like that story, unintentional. Or maybe for you, uh, your wound was more intentional. Uh, There's no lesson in this this series, in this workbook that generates as much internal pain as this lesson. This is a heavy message, uh, but it's one that we need today. And I invite you to personalize it for your own life. Uh, For most of us, probably from the moment I mentioned the word wounds, a name came to mind. A picture came to mind for you. So who is that? Just between you and the Lord in your own heart, who is it that came up for you today? Maybe it's a family member. Uh, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. As you listen to these scriptures today and, and listen to this message, would you just personalize this and bring that to your own mind this morning? Let's ask the Lord together, how can we choose to heal? In, in my own home, uh, some issues occurred when I was growing up around my stepdad. I've shared that with you before, and I don't want to go into the details, but I had to wrestle through some things in my life that made this really difficult for me. I understand how difficult this is. This is the hardest thing God ever asks his people to do. If God asked you to run a marathon, you could probably train and do that. If he asked you to climb Mount Everest, I bet you with some work and effort, you could figure out how to do that. But this, we see God asking us to do this, and we go, whoa, hold up. This is hard. Uh, it was the great C.S. Lewis who said it this way. He said, everybody thinks that forgiveness is a good idea until they have something to forgive. Then all of a sudden, we realize how challenging this lesson is, right? We need help here. We need spiritual answers. Where do we turn for help with this? Well, turn with me, if you will, to page 143 in, in, in your workbooks as we look at this. You don't need a workbook to follow along, but we are using these workbooks. I can get you one if you need one. Come see me later. Uh, today's message is just, just simply going to be called... It takes faith to forgive. It takes faith to forgive. And you're going to see three different parts to the message. First, we're going to talk about forgiveness, what it's not. Then we're going to talk about forgiveness, what it is. And then we're going to talk about forgiveness, how do we do it? How do we practically live this out? And we'll draw from primarily a scripture in Luke chapter 17, although we'll look at some other passages throughout the message today. Because this is so challenging, it's appropriate for us to turn to the Lord in prayer now and ask for his help. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word, that it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We pray that you'd open up our eyes. Help us to see things in your word, challenges that we need to take seriously. Give us eyes to see, faith to obey with our hearts. 
Help me, your servant, to preach your word with clarity, wisdom, passion, and freedom. You know this is not easy. And as the seed of your word is planted and watered, we look to you to have this seed bear fruit. We give you all the glory and the honor for your great work of spiritual formation in our lives. And in this time today, we, we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we'll start with Luke chapter 17. And I want you to take a look at this passage. It comes from the life of the Lord Jesus, where it says this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. It takes faith to forgive. I love how the scriptures are so honest. I appreciate how the Lord Jesus doesn't gloss over the stumbling blocks and the difficulties and the wounds of life. He says there's things that could happen to you, maybe even happen to little ones, maybe even happen to you when you were a little one, that could cause people to stumble, things that will wound you. Jesus says those things are bound to come. It's a fallen world full of fallen people. This place is a broken mess. I love this mess, but broken things happen in this world, and they might happen to you. And for those who who cause these wounds, notice Jesus says, woe unto them. And I appreciate that he doesn't make light of those things. I appreciate that the Lord Jesus says, this is serious. And I also appreciate that the Lord Jesus says, and there must be confrontation as well. If someone has wronged you, then the step that you need to take is courageously and assertively to rebuke them for what they have done wrong. I appreciate that. There needs to be accountability. That's good. But then Jesus says something that is so countercultural, so counterintuitive. He says, And when you're wounded, I want you to respond in this certain distinctive way. If you're my follower, I want you to respond with forgiveness. And notice, what do the disciples say? Increase our faith. It takes faith to forgive. Back to trees for a second. If a tree is wounded, what a tree does is over time, it seals around that wound with a callus. You've seen this. The new wood grows around the wound to form a protective chemical and physical boundary to prevent pathogens, uh, infection, or decay from spreading to the tissue inside the tree, compartmentalizing the damage, confining the damage. If a healthy tree is effective in this protective strategy, the way the Lord created it, then the tree can survive. The tree can recover quite well. The tree can still mature and bear much fruit. If that wound on that tree does not heal properly, though, then that open wound can expose the tree to outside organisms, outside bacteria, which can infect the inside of the tree and prematurely cause decay. And sometimes that can bring permanent and lasting damage to a tree and prevent all growth and flourishing. It causes stagnation. It causes even a regression in the tree's development. And my argument this morning is I assert that the same exact thing can happen in our spiritual lives. That if we get stuck in a state of the bacteria of forgiveness and we have open wounds in our life and we live our life by keeping keep keep picking at the scabs that have occurred to us in the past 
then sometimes we will never really fully experience growth and flourishing and healing that God desires. I think God wants to bring healing. The scriptures say in Psalm 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is the heart of our God. He longs to be a healer. But the way to get to healing is a difficult path called forgiveness. This is really countercultural today. Uh, We live with Cancel culture. If a person has done one thing wrong, they're canceled. Now, there's nothing wrong with holding someone accountable, but what's often missing in this conversation is the virtue of forgiveness. And this is a distinctive Christian virtue that we can add to this conversation. Now, let me just make a clarification here at this point. There is a difference between wounds and scars. There's a difference between wounds and scars. Wounds are open, wounds are vulnerable. Wounds are dangerous. Wounds uh, still allow things to come inside uh, of us. But scars, scars are not like that. Scars have healed over. Scars display where the wound once was. That's what our Lord Jesus wants from us. He wants healing from our wounds. Uh, We might have scars as a result of what has happened to us, but we no longer need to live with open wounds. There's healing in God's presence. Friends, we don't want to lead out of woundedness. We don't want to parent, those of you who are parents like me, we don't want to parent out of our woundedness. I don't want to pastor out of woundedness. We need to be healed. And it's amazing that God can heal, much more amazing than the healing work that he would have on a tree or even a physical wound. The healing of the human heart is just breathtaking and amazing because of God's grace. Now, how do we get there? Well, first, let's talk about how we don't get there. Uh, There's six things I want to share with you in a little bit of a teaching moment here about what forgiveness is not, because there's some misunderstandings about this. So the first one is this, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You've heard that before, right? Forgive and forget. Well, friends, unless you have amnesia or unless you have some sort of cognitive decline, I'm not sure how that's even possible to forget. It reminds me of this funny cartoon that I use often in marriage counseling. You can see this on the screen. The wife's there, and she says, you say that you forgive me, Tim, but I can't help feeling that you're still holding a grudge. And here's Tim with his filing cabinets. One of them is for mistakes. One of them is for peeves. One of them is for gripes. And he's got his shelves and he's got his documentation. And it's, it's kind of like the husband who once said, every time we, we get into a fight, my wife gets historical. And the counselor said, you mean she gets hysterical? No, no, no. I mean, she gets historical. She tells me everything I've ever done wrong in my entire life. Uh, and this is sometimes how people live. But forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is remembering. Forgiving is acknowledging what has occurred so that you can work it through together. And let me just say this up front. All relationships require forgiveness. All people fall short. We are a fallen world with broken people. Our church is full of broken people. Our world is full of broken people. It is only a matter of time till we are wounded, until we also maybe are on the giving end of some wounds toward others. We are all sinful. We all fall short. That means all relationships, all friendships, all work relationships, all church relationships, every marriage, every good marriage is made up of two good forgivers. Every relationship will require at some point or another, if you get close to that person, they will require forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Number two, forgiveness is not just the passage of time. Maybe you've heard this myth that time heals all wounds. That's not true at all. When I hear that, I'm thinking, what world do you live in? I know people that are holding on to stuff for like 20, 30 years. 
Time doesn't heal wounds. I've noticed in my life that time comes all by itself. Time doesn't bring healing inherently. It's what you do during that time that will bring about the healing or what you don't do during that time that won't bring about the healing. But it's not the time itself that brings about the healing. Healing takes intentionality. Healing takes purposefulness. You know, sometimes I'm vacuuming at the house. Maybe you've had this experience. I'm running the vacuum, and there's a piece of lint on the floor. And I'm trying to get this piece of lint out. And it's just, for some reason, it's not, it's not coming up. So I'm going over it. I'm going over it. I'm like, what in the world? So what do you do? You go at a different angle, right? You've got to try a different angle. I'm going over here. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm just, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can get this thing. And I can't get this piece of lint. It won't come up. So what do you do? You try another angle, right? You go over here, you're trying it, you're trying it, it's just not coming up. So finally, finally, this is what happens to me, probably happens to you, what do you do? You stoop down and you get on a knee and you grab that piece of lint, right? You pick it up, you look at it, and then what do you do? You throw it back down and you try to vacuum it again. You're like, by God, I'm going to get this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you don't do that. But my point is, Sometimes we try and try and try at all these different angles, and we, but it really takes some effort. It takes some intentionality. We've got to sometimes stoop down, look at something, and try something we haven't tried before. Forgiveness is not just the passing of time. It takes intentionality on our part. Okay, third, forgiveness is also not denial. Forgiveness is not denying that you were hurt. Forgiveness doesn't ask you to deny the cost of the event. It's not saying, oh, no problem, that didn't hurt. That didn't matter. I didn't notice anything. It didn't affect me. I'm not upset. You know, if you're a guy, can I just talk to the men for a second? We're really good at this, right? You didn't hurt me. I can't get hurt. No, I didn't even feel it. I didn't hear it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. Didn't hurt. Didn't even feel it. Now, I guess ladies can do that too. Maybe I'm stereotyping here. We all have different reactions, but, but forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not saying I'm not angry. You, you weren't angry. It, it did hurt. It's okay to be honest about that. And sometimes different people manifest their hurt in different ways. Sometimes people are really aggressive. Sometimes people are really passive. Give you the cold shoulder, give you the silent treatment. They ghost you for a little while. And then some people are passive aggressive. They have this way of getting at you, but it's really kind of complicated to see that they're upset. All different people hold their hurt in different ways. And and all of those things are unhealthy because forgiveness is not about denial. It's just about being honest about what happened. Number four, Forgiveness is not excusing the other person's actions. When you forgive, you don't have to say things like, well, you know, I know you were under a lot of stress. I know you're, you, know, you have so much pressure at your job. I know, you know how upset you've been lately. I, I, I know you didn't mean it. You don't have to excuse them. Actually, that's not forgiveness. That's, that's something totally different. Forgiveness is not the same as excusing behavior. Number five, this one's hard. Forgiveness is not fair. Some of us love fair. We love justice. We want things to be set right. And part of that is a good desire that's reflective of the justice of God. But here's what I've noticed in my heart. I really like it when God is not fair with me. I'm just not that crazy about God not being fair with the other person. I would prefer fairness for them, but mercy for me. Have you noticed that in your own heart? Am I the only one who's a sinner like that today? I feel like there's some inconsistency in my own spiritual life there. But forgiveness is not fair. Uh, Here's something that we need to learn. Forgiveness is not deserved. Forgiveness is not 
deserved. If you think that forgiveness is something that's deserved, then you might be thinking about something, but you're not thinking about biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness is not deserved. Lewis Smeets from Fuller Seminary is probably the finest theologian on forgiveness of our generation. He says this, if you're going to wait for the person to deserve it, you'll never forgive them. They're never going to deserve it. Forgiveness is not based on whether the person deserves it. Forgiveness is not fair. So if that's true and I embrace that, then how come I struggle? How come I don't want to forgive? Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I, I, I'm indignant. Sometimes I'm, I kind of like being the victim. I, I kind of like being the one who is wrong. It, provi- it provides me with some sympathy that I appreciate, and that makes me feel good about myself. Or sometimes I just think I have a right to be angry. I like to hold on to something against somebody because it kind of gives me a sense of power over them or something. And there could be a subtle pride in my heart that creeps in. And sometimes after I hold on to bitterness for a little while, I start to think that I'm better than somebody else. And I forget that none of us are good enough. But friends, that's a very dangerous place for me to go, thinking that I'm better than somebody else. There's an ugly side of woundedness. There's an ugly side of unforgiveness. There's an ugly side of bitterness. And that's not what the Lord wants from us. Forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is not deserved. And then number six, this is the last one in the first point. Um, Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. This is a big misunderstanding. Sometimes people think automatically when you forgive, then that means the relationship is restored. That's not necessarily the case. And some people get confused here. And they don't understand, well, how come the person, do I, what if they're not sorry? What if they don't really understand how they have really offended us? What if they don't understand their hurt? What if they don't understand the problem? What if they won't recognize their contribution? Does that mean I automatically have to embrace this relationship and continue to expose myself to them? Not necessarily. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to hold that person accountable. Forgiveness is one step towards reconciliation, but there are other steps after that, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. See, forgiveness is for me. Forgiveness takes one. Forgiveness is God's challenge in my heart. Reconciliation takes two. That takes two willing parties who are willing to work this out and willing to both acknowledge their sides. One of my mentors said, reconciliation is a two-way street, and God, Dave, God calls you to clean your side of the street. This is the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. God wants me to choose forgiveness and to leave the rest of it up to the other person. We're going to go into this in your workbook more in depth, but sometimes this is just you and the Lord, and you have to do this on your own. I love the way Lewis Smedes says it. He says this, sometimes you have to take the solo flight to freedom. Sometimes you've got to get on that airplane by yourself and take that flight just for your own freedom. This is what was occurred in my life with, with my stepdad. He never acknowledged his part. I had to just release him into God's hands and extend the mercy and grace that the Lord has for us all. But that was for myself. Reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same thing. So now that we've seen that what forgiveness is not... We're going to switch gears and talk about what forgiveness is. So biblically, how do we define this term? What are we talking about exactly? And I think that uh, some, some 
inner study, some deep study can help us here. The word that's used for forgiveness in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, that Jesus uses, uh, comes with a very specific set of definitions. Technically, the biblical word for forgive is the Greek word of me, and it means to release a debt or to send away, to give up, to keep no longer, to let go. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as to remit, which is a big word we don't use that much. Webster's defines remit as to refrain from exacting a payment or inflicting punishment. So you put all that stuff together, all that complicated stuff together, and you get at least two aspects of a biblical definition of forgiveness from that. And let me just share with you those two things. Number one, forgiveness is repudiating the right to retaliate. At the bottom, at the lowest level, forgiveness is you not retaliating. It is not taking revenge. It is not getting back at them. It is not going tit for tat. Forgiveness is you repudiating your right to retaliate. I was reading recently about the kukri knife. It's a customary knife that uh, is found most often in the country of Nepal, and they wear it on their belt. It's this very sharp knife, very dangerous knife, very deadly knife, this weapon. And in order from, uh, to keep people from using this uh, prematurely or in, a, in, a, in, an, in an irresponsible way, they have a, a cultural oath a traditional oath around this particular weapon in their culture. And they say that you should never use the, you should never even take out the kukri knife unless you intend to use it. In fact, every time you take the kukri knife out, there must be blood that's shed after that. That's their cultural tradition. That's how serious they are about empty threats towards people. In fact, they're so serious about it that if you take your kukri knife out and you don't use it, you have to use it on yourself and you have to draw blood at least from your little finger or something like that because that's their, that's their, uh, protection against revenge and threats. But the point here is that this is not something to be trifled with. Uh, whenever you seek a cost from someone else, somebody's going to get hurt there. But as a Christian, as a Christian, we, we believe what Romans 12 says. It says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God promises us that he's going to take care of justice on our behalf. So we don't have to pick up the sword to revenge. It's okay to long for fairness. It's okay to long for justice. But friends, we must realize that we place that longing in God's hands, not our hands. That is above my pay grade. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we entrust him to make all things right. You, Paul says in Romans 12, you serve your enemy with kindness. Now that takes faith. It takes faith to forgive. So forgiveness is when you repudiate that right to retaliate. And the second thing I think we can draw from this biblical word study is, is that forgiveness is also releasing the person from debt. And this is a financial image. Um, Jesus tells a famous parable about this in Matthew chapter 18. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I'll just kind of summarize the story. The story is told about a servant who owed millions and millions and millions of dollars of debt to a king. And he's promising the king, I'm going to pay you back. And the king has mercy on him, seeing how desperate he is. And he decides to cancel all of this servant's debt. And, and, and after that occurs, the story says, and after that, the servant went out and he found a guy who just owed him a couple dollars. And he starts choking this guy over this couple dollars saying, pay me back the debt that you owe me. And sometimes that's how we look. We're choking somebody for their little payment, the little thing that they owe us, thinking that they're withholding something from us. But the reality is they don't have it to give us, but yet we still, you know, we got our grip on them and we're choking them. Well, the king hears about this. The king gets news about what this guy's doing. And the king says something very, very strong. He says, you wicked servant. Now, 
he wasn't called wicked because he owed millions and millions of dollars. He wasn't called wicked because he wasn't able to pay back the debt. He was only called wicked after he chose not to forgive. See, it's unforgiveness that's called wickedness by the Lord Jesus. And as a result, the king gets wind of this and he throws him into, into debtor's prison. He says he throws him to the torturers. You say, what is that? Well, I'm not sure, but here's what I do know. If you remain bitter, it will eat you alive. If you remain unforgiving, if you hold that in your heart towards someone, it's like you're locked up. It's like you're locked up into this space where you don't even understand the gospel anymore. It's like you're in an unsaved state. You're just stuck in that prison of bitterness and unforgiveness. You've heard the old saying, you know, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other guy dies. That's the jail of bitterness. That's the prison of unforgiveness. You see why God would want me to forgive? It's because God loves us so much. It's not just to help heal the other person. It's not just to give us a challenging command to follow the Lord Jesus. It's for our own freedom. It's for our own spiritual vibrancy and our own healing. Forgiveness sets you free. Unforgiveness locks you up. Sometimes we think, well, you know, how much forgiveness does that person really deserve? They keep on doing the wrong thing. How much forgiveness do they deserve? But Pastor Greg Groeschel says it really well. He says this, it's not about how much forgiveness do they deserve. It's about how much freedom do you desire? It's not about how much forgiveness do they deserve. It's about how much freedom do you desire? Forgiveness is that path towards freedom. It's you getting set free from the torturers. And you're in that jail with the key in your pocket, remaining in there being tortured by that bitterness. And it is eating you alive. So Jesus says, do you want to be free? Here's the key. Choose to forgive. Now, how do we live this out? This is hard. This is challenging. How do we practically get to this place from the heart? Jesus says, forgive from the heart. How do we get there? Well, let me give you four steps. Four steps to practically live out this challenging command of forgiveness. Step one, refocus on God's forgiveness. Refocus on God's forgiveness. I honestly don't know how non-Christians can forgive. They can excuse behavior. They can say boys will be boys, but I don't believe they can truly forgive because there's not the cross and the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Savior of the world for us to lean on. You must have vertical forgiveness before you can have horizontal forgiveness. Unless you've experienced that vertical forgiveness between you and God, I think it's impossible for you to extend true horizontal forgiveness towards someone else. On the top of page 147 in your workbook, there's a well-known piece there written by a Puritan author, John Flavel, about the cross. It's called The Father's Bargain. And it's this poetic way of describing the transaction that happened on Good Friday between the Father and the Son and the agreement that they had to, to put an end to sin for the rest of eternity. And the Son agrees to that to that covenant and the son dies for the sins of the world. It's a powerful, powerful part of the workbook. I encourage you to check that out. The point is that the provision of the cross provides a way because it first shows us the scale of my offense against God is so much greater than the offenses that have happened to me, first of all. And second of all, it gives me a pathway so that I can make peace with others. To be a forgiving person, I have to first be a forgiven person. Remember, it takes faith to forgive. So step one, refocus on God's forgiveness. Step two, this is so important. Step two is very important, and it's something that we can all sometimes get wrong, is respect the personhood of the offender. 
Respect the personhood of the offender. This is so important, I want you to say it with me. Ready, here we go. Respect the personhood of the offender. They are made in the image of God. This person that has done something wrong to you, I'm not minimizing in any way, shape, or form what has happened or the wound. But we need to remember what we're talking about. Sometimes when someone wrongs me or someone wrongs you, we can make a caricature out of them. Do you know what a caricature is? A caricature is when an artist draws people and they exaggerate certain features about that person. They, they take one feature of that person and then they emphasize that one feature so that that's all you really see when you think about that person. That's what happens when we choose to hold bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone. We lose sight of all of the wonderful things about that person and we only get focused on what they did wrong. We're not seeing things clearly. We're not seeing that this is a brother or sister that's been made in the very image of God. This is one of God's creations. Yes, what they did was not appropriate, but there is much about this person that glorifies uh, the creator of us all, and I need to see them rightly. I need to understand the personhood of the offender. I need to see them how God sees them, as one created in his image, as one for whom he sent his one and only son to die. You've never been eyeball to eyeball with anyone who wasn't made in the image of God. You've never been eyeball to eyeball with anyone for whom Christ did not come to give his life. We need to respect the personhood of the offender. Step three, we need to redistribute culpability and guilt. This is when I need to, with humility, examine my own part in the conflict. This is when I, with humility, need to say, did I contribute in any way to this? This is when I take the log out of my eye. This is when I say, what did I do to perhaps enable this or to perhaps, perhaps be a part of this? Now, not, not, every, not every problem will, will, will involve culpability and guilt on your part. Not every problem, but rarely is the problem only one-sided. Oftentimes, there's something that I need to own. There's something that I need to also recognize. And I need to redistribute that culpability and guilt so that I'm owning my part, so that I'm owning my slice of the pie. Even if it's 99% them, if it's 1% you, own your 1%. Redistribute the culpability and the guilt. And that leads us to the final step. Now we're ready for step four. Responsibly love the other person. Now this takes faith. Perhaps full restoration with them would be possible in the future. Or perhaps you're not there yet. This is where boundaries come in. Page 149 of your workbook will go into depth about what boundaries are. I encourage you to work this through with a trusted counselor or with your small group and talk about what it would look like to responsibly love that person. Because sometimes it's complicated. Friends, love is unconditional. Trust is earned. And we need to walk with wisdom as we pursue reconciled relationships with godly counsel. But either way, even if reconciliation isn't happening right now, God's concerned about your heart. God's concerned about your conscience before him. God's concerned about the bitterness in your life that might be eating you alive. God's concerned about you flourishing like a tree, bearing fruit. And that bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart is not helping you. And so even if it's just for you and you've taken that solo flight to freedom, God says, I want you to be free for yourself and for your own life with me. That story that I started earlier about the accident in Lancaster, after the crash happened, the boy said, I was just flooded with guilt. I 
I carried this awful weight on my shoulders. So he went to this girl's parents' house and he apologized profusely in tears as he went to visit them saying, I'm just so sorry, I'm just so sorry, I'm just so sorry. I can never repay you for what I've done. And then that day, the girl's parents did something really amazing. As I read about this story, I just couldn't get over their reaction. He said, that day when I went to their house and I apologized, he said, their response to me was breathtaking. He said, what they did was they put their arms around me and they said, we forgive you. He said, I couldn't believe it. After what I had done, after my stupid mistake, they forgave me. It was just amazing. Still, as a 17-year-old kid, he knew he would be put on trial for vehicular manslaughter. And he said, I, I knew I was going to jail. But then, when his court date approached, that Amish family did something even more amazing. He said they wrote letters to that judge asking for this young man's pardon, asking for his acquittal on all counts. It takes faith to forgive. The young man said, I was so overwhelmed with this. We, I actually developed a friendship with this family. He said, we started getting together. And then once a year around the anniversary of the accident, we'll get together and share a meal. He said, I invited this Amish family to my wedding and they came. And to this day, he tells this story everywhere he goes because not too long after that, Joel had an experience with the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joel became a pastor and everywhere he goes, he tells this story about how this family didn't hold anger against him, though he deserved it. And he says, this Amish family, they gave me this incredible gift. What was that gift? The gift of forgiveness. And you know what else he says? He says, listen, ever since that happened to me 20 years ago, since then, I have become a very compassionate person. I don't have trouble letting go of my anger toward other people. You know why? He said, because I know I've been forgiven so much. Why? Because I know I've been forgiven so much because I know I've been forgiven so much. How could I not forgive others as well? Perhaps I've forgotten the grace and mercy that I've received from God. Ladies and gentlemen, shouldn't that not be our attitude as well? As Paul puts down his golf ball on the tee of the example of the Lord Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4, here's where he roots his challenge to forgiveness for all of us. Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. When we truly see, when I truly see the enormity of my debt of sin that's been forgiven by God, I then recognize that the wounds that have been inflicted upon me are extremely trifling by comparison. And the only reasonable response from a Christ follower is to extend that forgiveness toward others as well. God wants his forgiveness to flow through me toward other people. That's how forgiveness works. How's your flow? Is God's forgiveness flowing in you and then through you toward others? That verse on the screen has this word as, and it means three things. Number one, 
It means the effect of forgiveness. As God forgave me, or since God forgave me, I now forgive others. That's the effect of forgiveness. Number two, it refers to the extent of forgiveness. As much as God has forgiven me, as far as the east is from the west, just that much, that's how I forgive others. It means the effect of forgiveness. It means the extent of forgiveness. And then third, it means the example of forgiveness. Just as Christ forgave me because of his example, I forgive others. After all of, I, I have already been forgiven. What right do I have to hold anger toward anyone else? I'm not minimizing what has been done to you in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is not either. Jesus' words are words of freedom for you. They're words of mercy and grace that our souls need to grow, to mature. That's why this is in the maturing phase of the spiritual formation series. Because it's part of maturity. Mature people learn to forgive. Mature Christians learn to forgive. Uh, Jesus said something amazing in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, and I'll just read it from the message translation. You're familiar with this passage that he has here. He says uh, just something that's so breathtaking. Uh, He says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that today. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Love them who bring... Love them... Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is this, grow up, your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. That's a high calling. When we choose to forgive, we are acting in a mature Christian fashion. And here's what people will say. When you choose to forgive them after they've hurt you, after they've wronged you, they're going to say, how could you do that? How, who forgives people like that? Who forgives people after they've been hurt, after they've been wronged, after they've been betrayed, after what they said to you, you're going to forgive them? Who forgives like that? Here's what you're going to say. Someone I know. Someone I know. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May we follow his example. And brothers and sisters, may we today choose the mature option. May we choose to forgive or the bitterness will eat you alive. And you know what else will happen when you choose to forgive? Here's the grace of God. God says he'll restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Take a look at this wound on a tree that I found. See that new growth that's coming right out of that wound? If you'll let God heal you, if you'll take steps of obedience here, then you'll choose to forgive and you'll choose to have mercy. You know what that can become? That can become your greatest area of ministry. That can become your greatest area of compassion. That's the area where God wants his grace and his forgiveness to be flowing 
through you toward others who need to understand how to get through what you've already been through. God will use that and multiply uh, his victory in your life because you chose to obey and to forgive. You know that passage that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay? It doesn't just mean he's going to repay your enemies. It also means he'll repay you for your pain. He'll repay you for your sorrow. He'll repay you for those wounds that have happened in your life. And he, he, God, will take those ashes and make them into something beautiful, all as a trophy for his grace. You know, there's a song that I listen to on the radio called Scars. Maybe you've heard it. It's on Star 99 all the time. It just says, I'm thankful for the scars. Because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell of who you are. So forever, I'm thankful for the scars. Can you say that to the Lord today? Can you say, Lord, I'm even thankful for the scars. As the worship team comes, I I prayed so much about this message this week because I know how universal this problem is. And hear me saying, I don't think this is easy. Nothing about this is easy. I know. Easy is to, to remain angry. Easy is bitterness. Easy is choosing to seek revenge. Easy is holding a grudge. That's easy. It takes faith to forgive. And as God's people, may we pray today, Lord, increase our faith to forgive. Let me encourage you to choose to forgive or that bitterness will eat you alive. So as we end this message, I just want you to personalize it one more time. Who's that person? Who's that person in your heart? Who's at the other end of your resentment? Who's at the other end of your unforgiveness? Who is that person that comes to your mind? As we close today, let me invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we take a moment in prayer. And let's pray together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to think of that person for a moment in your life. And I want you to pray for them. And here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would bless them. And I want you to pray that if it's God's will, that there would be healing. So just take a moment between you and the Lord and pray for that person. God, thank you that there's healing in your house today. Thank you for how much you've forgiven us. Today we're here. Perhaps some of us need to make a decision and choose to forgive. Or maybe today, some of us, as we bowed our heads and closed our eyes, we we remembered somewhere in our life where we have been wrong. We've violated somebody else, and it's time for us to pursue them and ask them to forgive us. Or maybe we're here today to finally let go of something that's wounded us. And maybe we're here today to say, God, I don't know how, but through your strength and through your grace, would you show me any action I need to take to let this go? Help me to reestablish the relationship as far as it depends upon me to live at peace with all men. Give us a capacity from your own heart. May your grace and mercy flow through us and help us to forgive others just as you have forgiven us. Help us to be set free. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.